Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's episode, we are talking about a very taboo topic that I'm sure many of you have not heard of, or if you've heard about it, you don't know that much about it. This was definitely a learning experience for me, so I am super excited to have our special guest here today. Today is International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. No better time than now to talk about this. This bonus episode is really interesting and will leave you definitely more aware. If you haven't checked out the Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators swag, go do so now. You can find my favorites like my We Had Sex Here and Here pillows at swag.vaginasvulvasandvibrators.com. Be sure to check it out and help support this podcast. Joining me today is Farzana Doctor. She is a Toronto-based author, part-time psychotherapist, amateur tarot card reader, and female genital mutilation activist. I am really excited to talk with you today about this, I think, and I I know that a lot of my listeners are very unfamiliar with genital mutilation. Mm -hmm. I brought it up in one of my first podcast episodes, and it was something that I know I need to learn more about, but my listeners as well. So I'm really excited to have you here with me to talk about this. Do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Yes. My name is Farzana Doctor. In the mornings, I'm a novelist, and I just wrote a novel called Seven, which takes up through fiction, the issue of female genital cutting within the community that I'm from, which is the Dawoodi Bora community. Uh, So that's what I do in the mornings. And then I'm a registered social worker, um, and I have a private psychotherapy practice in the afternoons and evenings. And then I've also been an activist for most of my life. And My most recent activism has been around female genital cutting, and I work with a group called We Speak Out that focuses on our community, and I do a little bit of work with the NFGMC Canada Network as well. I love it. I love it. What exactly is female genital cutting or genital mutilation? What's the preferred term? You know, it's people use cutting and mutilation interchangeably. I think it really depends on the community. Some people prefer mutilation because it's so much more blunt as a term, while other people prefer cutting because it sounds uh, a little bit more accurate. A lot of people will say FGMC so that they're incorporating both. The official definition comes from the World Health Organization. And it's, I'm just going to read it out for you so I get it right. All procedures that involve partial or total removal of the external female genitalia or other injury to the female genital organs for non-medical reasons. And it's always harmful. There's four different kinds. There's, these things have been classified, which is wild because you know the practice isn't really standardized mostly this practice is done by amateur cutters so it's not standardized although there are some medical people doing this as well in some countries and the type 1 to type 4 sort of ranges in severity 
of the cutting. Type one has to do with cutting the clitoral hood or cutting the clitoris. Type two refers to cutting more of the external labia. And then type three would be all of the above, plus often stitching up so that there's only a small hole that's remaining. And then type four is this kind of catch-all of all the other ways that people might injure the female genitalia. And what we're understanding is that it seems to be happening on every continent except for Antarctica. The estimate right now is 92 countries, including the U.S. One of the things I've learned recently is that until the 1970s, the major health insurance plans included what they called female circumcision on mostly white Christian women back then. So there's a lot of people in the last like five years who have been coming forward, white women in the U.S., people from Russia, from Colombia in South America, people in Indonesia, like just all these countries that wouldn't have been associated with this practice, uh, more and more survivors are coming forward to talk about it. So there's kind of like this Me Too movement happening around FGMC, which is, I think, you know, kind of a good thing because we're sort of normalizing the conversations around these things. Wow, I did not realize that it's happening way more often. I was very ignorant to that. I, I was kind of expecting it to be a very cultural in, in a couple of countries, but that's not at all what I expected. Yes, it's very prevalent and it's across religious groups as well. Do you know kind of like what is the history behind female genital mutilation? Why was this being done? And maybe you can speak to your culture more, but I'm very curious on that. Yeah. So the one most common reason that we understand happens across all of the cultures and religions is some way to control female sexuality as though that even needs to be controlled right but in in that sense when we look at it through that lens it's not that different from rape culture or sexual harassment or all the other ways that women and non-binary people have their sexuality controlled in so many ways right i mean it's these are all different forms but it the aim is the same there are some other reasons that are given for it as well, and that might be to belong to a community. If it's the norm of the community, if you don't have it done, you can be seen as outside of the community. But generally, it's done as a way to keep girls pi- sexually pious, whatever whatever that means, right? And in, in my community, that's, that is what it's for. It's It's for community belonging, and it's for controlling sexuality. And there are theories about how it started, why it started in our community. It's a really entrepreneurial community. And so the men would have been traveling a lot to do sales. And so some people think that that would have been one of the reasons why. Others believe that our community is based in India, but with origins ages ago, from Yemen. And so some people believe that it maybe originated there and it continued. But I couldn't tell you what the origins would have been in Yemen. 
part of why we only have theories, I think, is that this is such a taboo subject. It's intergenerational sexual violence, right? And we know that with other forms of intergenerational sexual violence, people feel so much shame that they can't talk about it. Absolutely. And that's one of the key things about talking about this on this podcast, but continuing to talk about these taboo topics is that we're normalizing it, bringing awareness to it to help other people feel more comfortable talking about their story and what's happened to them at some point. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Now, I want to know a little bit more about your book, Seven. Do you talk about your journey in the book? Well, the book is um, a work of fiction. So I've really woven in bits of my own experience and then experiences of all kinds of people who I've met in my activism. And I wanted to do that because every form of sexual violence, survivors experience it differently, right? Some people might have a lot of after effects, you know, in terms of emotional, you know, sexual, physical trauma, right? Some people don't remember it at all. Some people remember every single detail. So I wanted to have a number of women talking about it in this book as different characters talking about it and also having different views about it. So there's uh, one character who is a big activist about it. There's another character who thinks, you know, why are you making such a big deal? This is just a regular thing. And then my protagonist is an Indo-American woman who goes to India with her family. And while she's there, she kind of comes to understand that this is a practice that's happening in her family, and she's pretty clueless to it. That's how I've been kind of exploring it. It was definitely, though, inspired by my own experiences of coming to terms with the trauma that I faced, as well as wanting to kind of blend in some of the activist work that I've been doing around all of this. What is the average age that this procedure is done at? Mm -hmm. So it really varies across the globe. But in our community, it tends to happen around the age of seven, plus or minus a few years. So I know people who even had it at age 14, and then others who had it a few years before seven. One of the things that happens with our community is we have a big diaspora, right? We have community members who live, you know, throughout North America and across Europe and Australia, kind of everywhere. And so one of the ways that this was happening a lot in the past was through a practice called vacation cutting, meaning that parents would take their kids back to India in order to have this done. Or they would happen to be in India and it would it would sort of get done by the relatives sometimes without parents knowing. In recent years, we've been hearing about it happening in the US. There was a major case in the last few years, a doctor from Detroit named Dr. Jumana Nagarwala was charged with, I think, nine counts of FGM and a number of other charges that went around it, like conspiracy. Most of those charges got dropped because of a loophole in the FGM law, which has now been closed about a week or two ago. Uh, A new law was passed so that those loopholes would get closed. Wow. That's wonderful. It's so recent, but that's so wonderful that the, you know, we're making some forward progress in 
the world of GM. This might be too personal of a question and you can totally opt out of this, but I want to know how does FGM affect intimacy and relationships? And maybe you can talk to your own or maybe you can talk about other women that you know. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do both. And I do it because I think that the more we talk about not just the taboo of discussing FGM, but we also talk about the taboo of sexuality, like the better off we're all going to be. I actually write a sex and relationships advice column for one of the FGM groups called SAIYO, S-A-H-I-Y-O. The column is called Dear Mossy, and I'm I'm the Mossy, the, the auntie. For me, what I experienced once sort of my memories started to surface, they were pretty suppressed for a long time. I experienced uh, nightmares. I, expe- I experienced kind of hypervigilance during sex, freezing during sex. And what I had to do was go back to therapy to address it. And I did a few different things. The first therapist I worked with really helped me around mindfulness around sex. So being able to pause, breathe, and notice what was happening, and and basically to take control over my own sexuality again. And before that, I wouldn't have even imagined that I didn't have control. But it's, it's a funny thing, right? When you get really present to all of these subtle things that are happening. And then I also uh, did a little bit of work around somatic experiencing, which is very helpful. And I also did some internal family systems therapy work. So really, I think the way that it affects women is going to be so different, right? It just depends on their personalities, what the trauma was like for them, and so on. Also, because there isn't standardization, some people might have had quite a bit of nerve damage and others less. Some people have scarring, some people have none. So it also depends on what the cut was like, if the cut was very light, for example, or if it was more harsh. The other thing that I'm aware of is there's been two studies done, small-scale studies, one by Sayo and another by We Speak Out. And around the 30% mark of women said that they felt that FGMC had impacted their sex life and negatively. Things like feeling too much sensitivity around the clitoral hood, not enough sensitivity, difficulty with orgasm, those kinds of things. And something in one of the studies, 35% of women said they weren't even sure how or if it had impacted them sexually. And I think that that's a really interesting thing because if you're in a context where sex education is really poor, and I think that that's most of our contexts, right? I don't know what your sex was like when you grew up, but for me, it was non-existent. So or just really bad. If you don't have much knowledge about your body and what pleasure is and all of that, you might say, I don't know if this has affected me. I guess my sex life is okay, but I don't know. Could it be better? So that's also an interesting kind of thing. For for women who have had type 2 and type 3 FGM, which are more the more severe cuts, they will often talk about um, more severe after effects ar- around sexuality. But again, there's variation. Some, some women will say, I'm fine. 
Right. And I can see why 35% of women would say that they're not sure because you don't know the alternative. So what are you comparing it to? So I can totally see how that would be hard to analyze. Because we even know like with people who aren't survivors of sexual trauma, there'll be all kinds of questions that arise around pleasure and sexuality. We're just really all severely lacking, I think, this, unless we've gone and we specifically listened to podcasts like yours, or we've done a bunch of reading, unless we've interrupted the silence around sexuality, we don't know what we don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's why like the sex coaching industry is becoming, I think, very popular I work with a sex coach. You have your somatic sex coaches. You have all these different types of sex coaches that really help women in particular learn more about themselves and address these issues across the board. So definitely we're bringing. It's such an important part of our, our life, right? Our, our sexual expression is connected to our creative expression. I think it's connected to our happiness, all of that, right? Absolutely. Well, when you orgasm, you release all those endorphins. So there's nothing wrong with that ever. Do you have anything you want to add in particular about FGM? Yeah. Do you know, one of the things that sometimes happens around this topic is feminists will sometimes feel hesitant to get involved. And I want to let feminists know that this issue is not that different from so many of the issues of misogyny that we're dealing with. So as I mentioned earlier, it's not that different from rape culture. It's not that different from sexual harassment. It's all of these are connected. They're all on a continuum. And we need allies to help us with this work. Of course, the best way to be an ally is to learn and follow the lead of the survivors. So I really encourage people to get involved in whatever way they can. In the U.S., they could follow a group called the U.S. and FGM Network. They could follow SAIYO that's based in the U.S., S-A-H-I-Y-O.com. And just even things like amplifying messages on Twitter. Again, just so that all of this gets more normalized. And February 6th is the International Day for Zero Tolerance for FGM. So I've really been encouraging people to try to do something around that day at at school or at work. Something as simple as circulating a short article or showing a film or If people have book clubs, they can read my book and I'm happy to talk to book clubs. We just need more people kind of understanding it. And I would really love it, particularly if people who are working with the public, so medical folks, teachers, lawyers, all those people who interface with the public in particular, it'd be great if they would know more about this because they can get involved in helping to prevent it. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's, this is one of those topics that we're not taught in school. If I hadn't done my own personal research and been involved in women's health the way I am, I would have no clue that this even exists. And I think for many providers, that's probably the case. I know I had put a question out to my community asking them, you know, what questions do you have about this to help guide my interview? 
And most of them were like, what is it? Mm-hmm. And there's definitely in medical professions, we, we need more information and we need to be talking about it. And the information is there and the activists are there who would love to come and talk. Definitely just reach out to some of the groups. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. So I know that you have um, something special for our listeners for your book. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So my publisher has a promo code for my book. You can go to dundurn.com. That's D-U-N-D-U-R-N.com. And if you want to pick up my book seven, just use the promo code Dr. 25 to get 25% off. And that's particularly good for US customers because you're going to be paying in Canadian currency. (laughs) Love it. Well, and I will put that link in the bio so that everybody can easily go right to that and get their book. And any other resources that you would like to share? If people want to follow me, it's just Farzana Doctor on all the different social media. And I'm often posting and forwarding things from other groups. So it's a great way to get information. Yes, perfect. Do you have Facebook as well or just Instagram? Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of it. Perfect. Perfect. I will put all the links in there for those as well. Well, thank you so much for joining me to educate me and educate the listeners and help bring awareness to this topic. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I appreciate you interviewing me. I really, really, I'm so, so happy that you've got in contact. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Pure Romance by Jordan Jones, offering top bath and beauty products and relationship enhancement items. Check out the link in the bio to start shopping today. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.